Welcome to The Sunny Side, the podcast that makes solar energy relatable, accessible, and attainable. Join us as we journey behind the scenes with women taking amazing strides in all parts of the solar industry. I'm your host, Sharon Lee, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to another episode of The Sunny Side. I'm Sharon, and I am so excited about this upcoming guest. I have Alex Snedeker, and she is a principal with Watch, which is a monitoring platform with me. And normally I go through a section on Sharon's Corner, what I've been up to since the last episode, but several of the things I've been up to, Alex has too. So I think it makes sense for me to uh, just dive right into this episode and bring Alex into the conversation. So we were out in Anaheim, California for RE+, which is the largest solar show of the year. And this show hasn't been together since, I think, 2019. And so for this group to get back together, the energy was, no pun intended, was just phenomenal. So that was really exciting. So Alex and I were out there together and then... She left straight from there to go to the other end of the world on a fantastic two-week trip. So I'm going to bring Alex into the conversation so she can say hello and tell us a little bit about why in the world she chose to do that and how the trip was. Hey, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me on. You are very welcome. Excited to hear about your trip. Welcome back. Before I talk about my trip, I feel like it's worth giving some context about you know, my background. So I used to live in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I was there from 2016 to 2020 um, and hadn't really had the opportunity to go back since the pandemic. And in that time, I've had a lot of friends who have gotten married, had kids, moved to different homes. And so I wanted to have the chance to go and catch up with them So like you said, yeah, I visited for two weeks and I made a couple of stopovers in South Korea and the Philippines. I ate banana leaf and hot pot. I checked out some of the new speakeasies in Chinatown. And of course, I went to my favorite salon to get a two hour massage. So it was fun. It was luxurious. It was, you know, full of social interaction. But I am honestly just happy to be back, be off of planes and be settled in Atlanta and back on the renewable energy grind again. All right. Well, we are happy to have you back in Atlanta. So let's dive into your background a little bit more about what even put you on the path of renewables. Yeah, it's definitely a circuitous route, full of a lot of twists and turns. Uh, So I was originally a UNC environmental science major, a shout out Tar Heels, and after college, uh, ended up joining the Venture for America program, which is a two-year fellowship that places recent grads in startups and small businesses in emerging cities. So I was originally placed in a real estate developer in New Orleans that was doing a lot of 
environmentally and socially responsible developments. They were also starting a energy efficiency consulting division. So I was one of the founding members of that team. That meant I was working with City of New Orleans, with a couple of different charter school networks to reduce their electricity bills, mostly through kind of retro commissioning activities, changing HVAC settings, and occasionally specifying retrofits if we had to. And then later, I uh, went to work at a residential solar EPC running their marketing department and working really closely with sales to kind of broaden our funnel. And then shortly after joining that company, there were a lot of changes in Louisiana's tax credit availability that essentially led to a drying up of the market and a mass exodus. And so around that time, I had gotten an offer to get a scholarship for an MIT-affiliated MBA program that was starting in Southeast Asia. And so, you know, I thought... I could go get an MBA in the States and pay a lot of money for it, or I could go to Southeast Asia for free. And so that was the choice that I made. Ended up working for the school in marketing and admissions for a couple years after I graduated. And then, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, one of my former colleagues ended up reaching out with a job opportunity at Cherry Street Energy in Atlanta, um, which is largely a CNI solar developer. And so that was how I ended up kind of coming back to Atlanta and getting back into the clean tech industry. And I've been here ever since. Fantastic. I think that's really interesting. Well, of course, the whole story is interesting. And I love that you jumped all over that and took advantage of the perfect opportunity. But it's so interesting that a lot of people that I speak with landed somehow in the solar industry. They didn't plan to be here in the solar or the clean tech industry. And I love that you sought to be into this industry. You found a way to do it even if you had to go to the other side of the world to do it. That's what this podcast is all about. Strong women with a passion, determination. So I love lifting up these incredible stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that my path has still, like I said, it still had a lot of twists and turns, even though I knew I wanted to be in an environmental field. It's very vast and there's a lot of different areas that you can play in. But I think just chasing those opportunities and following the roller coaster and, you know, continuing to connect with people in the industry is really how it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you moved to Watch as a principal. So first of all, tell us exactly what Watch is. So at its broadest level, I think you can think of Watch as a data provider for anything that produces or consumes energy. So right now, you know, we're working a lot in the monitoring and control space. We're working with a lot of uh, CNI solar developers, asset managers, own-in providers, but they're also tons of applications across technologies such as batteries and EV chargers, as well as other features like incorporating demand response and rec management and really everything in between. So it's a really exciting space to be in for me. Well, you know, I've talked with a number of different people and we've talked about actually building the array. The actual construction of mm -hmm. it is generally the easiest part of it. You've got policy implications and you've got permitting and you've got civil work and you've got all these different things. 
But so far, monitoring has not come up in the conversation. So let's get a little granular, a 101, on what exactly it means to monitor your solar array. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in that it usually does not come up a lot in conversations about constructing solar. I've run into huge clients that just had totally overlooked having monitoring for their projects. And maybe that is a testament to solar marketing. It's almost been too effective because now everyone sees solar as you know, so easy to maintain that you don't have to monitor it. I think it's true in some ways, like solar is very easy to maintain. It's a very robust energy source, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to monitor it. Equipment will still fail. The array will get dirty. There might be damage from lightning or hurricanes. There could be shading from trees that, you know, are growing next to the array and grow over a corner of it. There's a million different things that can happen. And so when I think about monitoring, I think mostly, you know, about, of course, this goes back to my data analysis background is the production modeling, right? So you make a model of what the sun should be doing based on real-time weather data, and then you make a model of what your array should be doing based on your equipment ratings. And then, you know, you put those two things together and you also look at the data that's coming out of your system. And then you find the discrepancies between that idealized model and what's actually happening on the ground. And then use that to kind of diagnose and help optimize your power production. And in a lot of cases, your income. Right. So really, you need to ensure that you're going to maximize the entire life of the system. So in that regard, what kinds of trends and conversations and that sort of thing are happening around monitoring right now? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think, you know, because of the broad spectrum of people who are like playing in the market and then also, you know, the level of sophistication will kind of run into people who are at very different points in their, you know, monitoring buying journey. So there are those who are just starting out, you know, they still kind of need some education as to what they need to monitor, why they need to monitor, and specifically why they need hardware agnostic monitoring. And then, you know, there are also those who have been around the block and they've seen a lot of different tools and they're buying based on very specific use cases and features. And so, you know, we've been having kind of all of those conversations and everything in between. But I think, you know, a few broad categories that people have kind of been talking about or that I've seen coming up more recently are first security I think, you know, we have a long way to go on on on-site security. There was recently a high-profile hack at an inverter manufacturer. There have been, you know, hacks into very large wind power systems. And there's not really a lot of standards that we can point to right now as far as security goes. But I can see in the next few years or so that it's going to become probably a huge headache for people who already have deployed assets out in the field right now. The second thing I hear a lot is having kind of more multiple use tools. So there are, you know, a lot of different kind of software products. And I'm sure you know, from being in a solar company as well, that like, the software stack can get 
a little bit unwieldy, but one of our focuses is just being able to provide tools like CMMS, financial monitoring, maybe someday even real-time energy arbitrage. Like everyone kind of wants to see their energy data all in one place. And then finally, I think integrations is going to become another huge trend and, you know, not just like having inverter brand agnostic monitoring, but like full technology agnostic monitoring. You see a lot of commercial buildings that, you know, they're getting chargers, they're incorporating battery storage for resilience, a lot more participating in demand response programs. I'm hearing tons of buzz about microgrids recently in the past few months. And I think right now you have to adopt a separate technology for each of these products. And there's not a lot of ways to coherently put all of that information together, especially because the industry groups don't always talk to each other and the standards are different for each type of technology. Um, and so these are some really, really interesting problems that our company is talking about and actively working on right now. Well, and, you know, it just occurred to me when you were talking about that, you know, it's one thing when you're talking about that with one array, one site, mm -hmm. one building, but you work with companies also that have multiple sites and multiple systems, and you still need all of that to, quote, speak to one another in some sort of coherent manner. So challenges yeah. on your side, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's still funny that we will get people who still claim that they're only going to use one technology ever. And <laughs> that's never the case. There's always going to be, you know, like five different inverter portals that you have to log into, and then all of the kind of tools that come along with that. So it's definitely just a matter of time before everyone gets kind of fed up with the status quo. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's go back to the RE Plus show because that was such a fantastic event. I loved everything about it. In fact, we ran into each other at the welcome event at the Angel Stadium, which totally blew my mind because to go to the Angel Stadium and not see a baseball game, my brain was not <laughs> around that. Like what's going on? But then when I got there, it was such a fantastic event. There was food, there was bands. We got to walk out on the field and all of that. So it was really fun to turn around and there you are. <laughs> we ran into <laughs> each other. But beyond the welcome event, when we're talking about the actual show and the trade show, was there anything that really stood out to you? Was there a product or a company or an educational session topic or anything like that that you recall? Well, I spent essentially the entire events on duty at our booth. So I probably have a very different perspective from you. And Hopefully after this, I can kind of get more of your intel on the rest of the conference. But there were a couple of things, I think, you know, from at least talking to dozens or probably hundreds of the participants that stood out to me. Really, first, I was impressed at, honestly, the amount of interest that we had. I think, you know, like I mentioned before, a lot of these broader issues in the industry are also being felt at an individual company and department level. So we had, you know, a lot of people who had in-depth knowledge of the pain points of O&M and, you know, also of a lot of the other parts of the value chain of financing, of construction, of commissioning, 
And I think really the second thing, I was just honestly impressed by the diversity of the attendees. I met people from, I'm sure, a dozen countries in pretty much every continent and across the entire spectrum from manufacturers to installers to policymakers and educators. So it was definitely great to see people from outside of the kind of companies and, you know, and events that you would normally go to and see really a broader spectrum and cross section of the renewables industry. And everybody with a very similar goal in mind. So that's a pretty incredible place to be, no question. And, you know, during the event, I attended a women's event you know, which is kind of where all this started, that Abby Hopper with SIA hosts every year, which was, you know, it's always top notch. This year was no different. Um, it was very, very well attended. Always cool to be in a room full of women executives in a very male dominated industry. And you attended our local Empowered Women event here in Atlanta in September. So I was so glad to see you in attendance. Yeah, it was great to be there. And thanks again for putting that event together. I think it's super important, like you said, as a male-dominated industry to have women representation and to have women who are connecting with each other and providing opportunities for each other. It's definitely a small community. You know, it's a small community already doing solar in the Southeast and then, you know, added on top of that being very male dominated. So it was, you know, I was impressed to find such a diverse crowd of lawyers, utility executives, developers, Mm -hmm. really everyone from across the industry. And then, as you know, also brought my colleague Safa as well, who's one of our front end developers. Honestly, she was kind of nervous coming because she had never worked in clean tech before and didn't think she would know how to, you know, converse with everybody. But she had, you know, also been in the similarly male dominated tech industry. And so super sharp. And it was it was good to get her, I think, in front of a group of ladies that she wouldn't have otherwise met. Right. And that's a perfect segue into, I love to talk about mentorship. And I know that you normally think about mentorship as you pulling someone up, a brand new you know, person entering their career and all that. So I know that Safa is not in that particular situation, but mentorship means so many different things. And so just having her come with you and interact at an event is the type of mentorship. So, I mean, I think that that is kind of how we as women work, collaborating with one another and all of that. But anyway, so as we're talking about mentorship and connecting folks with the industry and all of that, what do you consider your approach to mentorship if you have one? Well, I would say, you know, I'm still mid-career, and so I haven't necessarily actively been looking for mentees quite yet, but I still occasionally get messages on LinkedIn from, you know, either people who are in college or grad school or recent grads who are looking for advice in how to break into either sustainability or clean tech. And I always take these because even though there's more resources now than there were Mm -hmm. 10 years ago when I was getting started, it still really helps to kind of have different perspectives from inside of the industry. And I think, you know, some of the hardest things to figure out when you're on the outside or you don't have a lot of work experience is like, there's a lot of breadth Mm -hmm. and a lot of depth to the energy industry. And so like, 
I think, you know, it's worth being able to talk to a bunch of people to figure out like, what is your niche going to be? And what part are you going to play in this energy transformation? And so I love talking to people about that. I always take conversations. I also really love hiring both interns and new graduates. I did this at Cherry Street. I hired and managed four interns, actually, three of which were women, and one of which ended up taking a full-time job there after I left. So yeah, shout out to Ellie. She was amazing, (laughs) an amazing intern. So it's really great to also find and train new talent myself because they're really the ones who are going to have the most enthusiasm, who really want to make an impact and have a lot of drive. And I think just, like I said, kind of need that direction and figuring out how to deepen their knowledge in a certain segment of the field. And so, yeah, I like being kind of the person who is shepherding them through all the twists and turns in the energy industry. Right. And there's plenty of those. So well said, for sure. Um, But, you know, I've been talking incessantly about the Inflation Reduction Act since it passed back in August. And here in Georgia, we just underwent the IRP and are going through the rate case right now. There's just a whole lot going on in this industry. And I'm seeing that businesses are really following this information. I mean, they're feeling like this is something attainable. It's not something, oh, that's just, you know, for people in Washington. I mean, this is something that they can actually feel and touch and that sort of thing. And so they're curious about it and it impacts each of their businesses, which is fantastic. I mean, this is truly the time to control the electricity cost center and own your energy. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I would absolutely agree. And I mean, I do think that there have been opportunities in the past, you know, to a certain extent, it's like it's always been there as an option. Mm -hmm. But now I think, you know, we're starting to really see the tailwinds and we're starting to see interest even in, you know, those segments that would normally be satisfied with the status quo. You know, if you're an off taker, you were always used to having working power as a given. You know, you can always turn the lights on. You don't have to worry about where it comes from, how power sources are maintained. But I think there have been a confluence of factors that have really changed that in the past few years. You know, first energy costs, as you know, are on the rise. So there, even in Georgia, there are people who have their rates tied to the cost of fuel that are seeing their bills quadruple or quintuple in the last few months. We've got natural disasters that are on the rise, more hurricanes, more wildfires, and you know more electrical grid failures. And we're kind mm-hmm. of seeing the fragility of the grid as well. But then you know, as you mentioned, also on the positive side, like a ton of opportunities, you know, we've got new tax credits that we'll be able to take advantage of a lot of new programs for testing out new technologies. And, you know, I think having those two things together, people can kind of see the benefits of being able to take their energy production into their own hands. There's a lot more kind of uncertainty around, you know, what the availability of power and what the grid's going to look like, uncertainty around the status quo. And so that will lead people to end up wanting more control in the end. And so this is kind of where watch comes in, right? So as the grid gets way more distributed and people are kind of taking control of their own energy assets, how can we make sure that 
it's as well managed as if it were, you know, centralized production facilities. Right. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, I'm realizing that Watch was featured in Solar Power World, which is a national publication. Congratulations. What was that all about? Yeah. So we were featured on Solar Power World's 2021 list of top solar software and monitoring products. They put out a list every year in a bunch of different categories. And, you know, in the last year, we've also had a ton of new features coming out, especially around alerting and controls. So hoping that that can get us to renew that spot for the 2022 top solar products list. All right. Fingers crossed for sure. Um, what about other types of recognition? You guys have been going gangbusters. So what else is going on? Right. So originally this kind of came out of the third round of the American Made Solar Prize, which is a DOE backed competition. And so Watch was actually the grand prize winner in that round. So that's, I guess, another piece of recognition. And then also, you know, really just I think the growth of our customer base as well. So, you know, we've been seeing a lot of growth specifically in hardware OEMs, partners who have a hardware product but want to get to market faster and want to be able to have a software or data provider without, you know, staffing up on their own. And then we're also, after RE+, we've kind of trended into a lot of both larger utility scale and smaller projects, as in like resi data aggregation. And so, yeah, like I said, we've been spending a lot of time kind of strengthening our features and really tailoring them to some of these new aspects of the market. Nice. And going back to the mention of Solar Power World, it just, you know, crossed my mind that my next guest is going to be Kelly Pickerel, who is the editor in chief of Solar Power World. And so she was just talking about how exciting it is to discover these new products, new companies and see the solutions that are emerging in this market. It's such a small world, really. Honestly, it is. It's really funny, you know, how you kind of start to see the same players in a lot of these conversations. And so, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to listening to your next podcast with her and be sure to put in a good word for what on the next <laughs> products list. <laughs> Will do. You can count on it. You can count on it. <laughs> you know, okay. So that if I'm going to do that for you, then I've got to share something that you may or may not want me to. But when we had lunch recently, I learned something new about you and I'm just totally blown away by it that you signed up for improv classes. That scares me to death to think about doing improv <laughs> classes, but I think it is just so cool. So you have to tell the story about what made you get involved with improv in the first place. Yeah, well, it was really twofold, I would say. I had just moved to Atlanta uh, and I was having trouble kind of building out a network and you know wanted to have an activity where I'd meet a lot of diverse people. At the same time, I had also moved from a marketing position at Cherry Street to managing both the marketing and sales teams, which was very anxiety inducing for me because I had never worked in sales. I had always been kind of behind the scenes doing more of the marketing and ops work. So improv, I think, really helped me get out of my head and start overthinking my interactions and really just, you know, taking more initiative in my conversations. Okay. I mean, I would have never thought about you being, you know, anxious about interacting or being introverted in the least. So that just kind of blows my mind. 
Yeah, I mean, perhaps I managed to hide it well. I think, you know, since it's been about a year since I first started improv, I'm already starting to approach a lot of the conversations that I have with people differently. In improv, you know, we talk about making an offer. And so I think, you know, that's really all conversation is, is you walk up to somebody, you make an offer, and they will usually accept it and build on it. And so, you know, they're five levels that you have to work through at dad's garage, which is the place where, you know, I'm taking classes. And so I'm currently in, in level four, I'll have my first public facing student show at the end of this year. Um, so if, if you or anybody else is going to be in Atlanta around then you can see the outcome of some of my improv study. <laughs> oh, I would love it. I would love it. So think back to your like level one days and, you know, how you got started and everything. What do you think about us trying some sort of little improv vignette? Okay. Yeah, no, we could definitely do like a quick game or improv exercise. Okay. So um, what would be the rules on how to do something like that? Okay, so the one that I think comes to mind as one of the easiest ones to do over a call like this would be to do a kind of Pixar pitch story outline where each of us contributes one sentence and we build a story together. So when Pixar executives pitch a story, they will always put it into the same format. So it always starts with once upon a time, and then you kind of give the situation and and every day, and then you give a kind of status quo until one day, and then, you know, you give the conflict, and then because of that, and then you kind of give another plot point, and because of that, okay. give another plot point, and because of that, give another plot point, and then you can keep doing this until you know, you hit what you think might be the climax. And then you say, and finally, you know, climax happens. And then, and ever since that day, here's the new status quo that's happened because of that. And then ends with the moral of the story is. So that's kind of a simple one. Uh, you can honestly, you know, choose any subject, any plot points, like the sillier, the better. And it's probably better just to not even think about it right. or, you know, it, not even needing it to make sense. Well, all right, well, let's give one a go. So, but you're going to have to okay. get this started because I don't even know what in the world I'm doing. Okay. Sure. If you want me to start. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a ladybug that lived on the leaf of a house plant. Okay. And every day that ladybug checked to see if her spots were still there. Until one day she realized that she no longer had any spots. And in fact, she was not red, but blue. <laughs> okay. That threw me off. And because of that, she decided she would get off of her house plant and go out into the world. And because of that... She was essentially invisible against the sky. Until finally, she realized that under all those spots, she had wings and flying invisibly in the sky was pretty cool. <laughs> and ever since that day, she has used her powers of invisibility to fight crime. 
so the moral of the story is know how you can fight crime and know what your powers are and always go solar. <laughs> always go solar. And always have monitoring. <laughs> okay, we totally ruined that, but it was still fun. To yeah. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's, that's essentially the loose format of... Uh, oh my goodness. Well, you did good. You built on the offers. You didn't <laughs> let, you know, anything throw you off. So, yeah, I think we did pretty well. We did well. We'll go with that. We're not level five, but we'll go with well enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was a whole lot of fun. And I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you again, not in Anaheim this time and not on the Beltline this time, but still here in Atlanta. So it's been great talking to you. But if people do want to reach out to you after this, ask about monitoring or just get to know you in general, how can they find you? So I am on LinkedIn at Alex Snedeker, that's S-N-E-D-E-K-E-R. You can also email me at Snedeker at watch, that's W-A-T-T-C-H dot I-O. I'm usually pretty responsive to both of those channels. Fantastic. And we'll put links to that down below as well. But we have thoroughly enjoyed you joining us on the sunny side today. So thank you for being here. And we wish you well as uh, you dive into the end of your improv and dive into the end of your monitoring year. Absolutely. This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much, Sharon. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Side Podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. You can also email questions, suggestions, and compliments to Sharon at velosolar.com. The Sunny Side is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and executive produced by Sharon Lee. Thank you.